We live in a world fascinated by the latest and greatest high-tech innovation 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, living for the next upgrade. We have to get the latest and greatest, find out what the next new piece of technology is. We love that. We live for it. It creates this hunger inside of us. But I also think it leaves us hungering for history as well. And that can be seen in many different purchases that we see. Some people will spend an awful lot of money for antique things, things that remind us of the past. We also see this in fashion. I know many people will spend an awful lot of money for a pair of jeans with holes in it, right? You're getting half a pair of jeans for a full pair price, right? We see that everywhere. Uh, One of the things that I love, though, is this longing for history, I'm also going to come out true confession, with a true confession tonight. Uh, I love Diet Coke. I am just a Diet Coke addict, and I know many people say it's bad for you, but that's all right. That's how I'm going to roll. I don't care what you say. Um, I'm just rolling with it. And I got hooked on Coke a long time ago. When not, I should say Coca-Cola. <laughs> clarify, clarify. We do have local law enforcement in the room. I got hooked on Coca-Cola a long time ago as a little, uh, little guy, and I will never ever forget 1985 when Coke did something incredibly stupid. They decided to introduce new Coke. Some of you are nodding. You remember this horrible experiment. New Coke was rolled out, and what I saw was that everybody on earth was like, what in the world is this? It came out, and the experiment, thankfully, only lasted two months. And then they brought back the old formula, which they called Coke Classic. And one of the things that I love about this time of year is the Coca-Cola Bear commercials, right? Because it reminds me of the Coke Classic. And the marketing people of Coca-Cola, after the whole debacle with the new formula, they came out and they said that what they realized through that whole thing was that the old Coca-Cola formula, the Coke Classic, it stood the test of time. There's certain things in life that stand the test of time. And in our craze to get the latest and greatest and see what's coming around the corner, I think there's a hunger in our hearts for things that stand the test of time. And we are here tonight in this place in this moment, celebrating this holiday because we're celebrating something that stood the test of time and will always stand the test of time. I want to finish this evening by talking about three things, three acts of God that stood the test of time. Three acts of God that stood the test of time. The first one we're going to see is that Jesus humbled himself so that we would understand Jesus humbled himself so that we would understand God could have came to earth in any way he chose. He could have had the sky crack open, have a big demonstration of power, fire, open everybody's eyes. He could have came any way he wanted, but he chose to enter our world in the form of a child. He chose to come instead of all the power and might that human beings crave The creator of the world came humbly and placed himself in the hands of creation to identify with us, to show us 
who he was. The Lord Jesus is eternally rich in glory, exalted the King of kings and the Lord of lords, yet for our sake he became poor. He became poor in spirit because he saw a divide between his Father in heaven who is holy and powerful and perfect and broken, lost humanity. And the chasm between the two was so great Someone had to come and bridge that gap. And he came in the form of an infant to do that. He made the first move in bridging the gap between a holy God and a sinful humanity. God goes against the norm. We are awed by rulers and kings and power and elites. But he came in a manger, in a stable in poverty. He wanted us to understand who he is. He wanted us to understand that this is a God not for the elite, but this is a God for every human soul. This is a God who loves all humanity, created all humanity, and longs to bring them back into relationship with him. In a culture that emphasizes power and richness and self-promotion, God reverses the human opinions of significance. Pride and power feel strong, but in reality they are weak. Humility feels like weakness, however, it's deeply powerful. I played basketball in high school, but I should probably qualify that. On my high school basketball team, our starting five, four of them were all conference, two of them were all state. So though I was on the team, I probably shouldn't say I played basketball in high school. A person of my athletic ability when it comes to basketball had good seats for every game. (laughs) I was courtside every single game. The best seats in the house, I had it. But there was that one game when we were going to play the worst team in the conference, and we are the best team in the conference. And the local newspaper was even saying, this is going to be such a blowout. Don't waste your time to go see this game. And so I knew that this would be the game that I would get to play because they'd finally clear the bench and let us play. And I knew that this was going to be my moment. The world was waiting for this moment. Michael Jordan, too, is going to take the court. I'm going to razzle and dazzle. I'm going to be sinking threes from all over the ark. This was the time everybody would see and they would understand what they were waiting for. So I got all geared up. I showed up at our high school. We was an away game, so we had to load the bus. So I got my gear together. I got on the bus. I put my Walkman on, and I put the cassette tape in. And I remember this, for some of you who don't know, there's these little tape things that used to play music. And so I put this cassette tape in, and I remember, I I don't know why I remember this, but I remember the title of the cassette tape a friend of mine made me was Hot Mix One. And they even drew like a, a picture of a flame on it, you know. And so I put this on, and I remember it was the Eye of the Tiger, St. Elmo's Fire, Rewind. That's what I did. Eye of the Tiger, St. Elmo's Fire, Rewind. Eye of the Tiger, St. Elmo's That's what I did the whole way there. I was getting all psyched because I was rising to the top. I was going to be a man in motion. All I needed was a pair of wings. St. Elmo's Fire. That's what was going through my head. And so I was all psyched. This is going to be the moment. We get to the high school we're playing. I get off the bus. I go into the locker room. I get all my stuff ready. I start to change. And all of a sudden, one of our starting five, one of the guys who was all state, said, oh, no, 
I left my jersey back at school. And the coach said, what? And he goes, coach, I left my jersey back at school. And in like a half millisecond, the coach said, Deroshi, give him your jersey. <laughs> so I was back in my seat, my courtside seat, wearing nothing but a warm-up. I had no jersey, and I knew the world missed its moment. <laughs> because I knew there's no chance they were going to duct tape a number to my chest and let me go out and play. It was all said and done. The pursuit of accolades. There's something in the human spirit that longs to pursue accolades. We like the power, the recognition, the promotion. But hear me in this. God knows that humility speaks to the human soul in a way that the pursuit of accolades never could. God knows that humility speaks to the human soul in a way that the pursuit of accolades and promotion never could. So he came and humbled himself that we would understand who he is. In John 1.14, it says, The word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And that truth stood the test of time, and it will stand the test of time. The next act of God that stands the test of, the test of time is that he paid our debt so that we could be saved. Matthew 1.21 says, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to earth so that we could be saved. And that statement generates two questions. First of all, number one, what do we need to be saved from? Why do we need to be saved? The Bible tells us that God created the whole earth. And he created the human race and he made human beings in his image because he wanted to have relationship with them. Because we are made in his image, we are, the human race was created with a free will. And so when Adam and Eve had enjoyed great relationship with God, but that one day came when they turned their back and disobeyed in rebellion. And from that moment on, sin entered the human race and it entered into our hearts. And sin, be the humanity that was so created as precious and good became marred and broken. And God in his holiness stands apart from sin. So there was a gap that was created and so the only way that God could reconcile back is to punish the sin. He's a just and holy God. He's loving, he's kind, he's merciful, but he's also just and holy. And so he wouldn't be God if he just let this whole thing slide under the rug. Someone had to pay for sin. So when God saw this predicament of holiness separated from sinful humanity and he loved humanity so much he did something about it and that's what we celebrate tonight he sent his son jesus to come to earth and jesus lived the perfect life on our behalf and he went to the cross and on the cross he paid the penalty that someone had to pay he paid the penalty for your sin and he paid the penalty for my sin so we had to be saved from the penalties of our sin saved from the evilness the broken world brought and saved from the plan of Satan himself to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is the one who saves us. 
So the second question, why did he have to save us by coming to earth? Well, in order to be in God's presence, in order to be with him forever when we die, and even now on earth, it requires absolute perfection because of how holy he is. God requires, it says in this book, absolute perfection in order to go to heaven. He requires absolute perfection in order to be in his presence. But the problem is none of us are perfect. And we have another problem. We will never be perfect enough. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to create enough perfection to satisfy the holiness of God. So we needed somebody or someone from outside of us who could be perfect. And that's why Jesus came. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He never sinned his whole time here. And then he went to the cross, the perfect sacrifice, and paid for our sin. And now when you come and give your life to Christ, if you come and say, God, I want you in my life, and you repent and you say you believe, he takes his perfection, his righteousness, and he drapes it over you so that you can stand in the presence of a holy God in the perfection that's required. But the perfection doesn't come from us. It's not like our good outweighs our bad. It comes as a free gift from God, and that's what we celebrate tonight. There's a theologian that had a young student, and the student said, it's kind of like a heavenly bank account. As long as I make more deposits than withdraws, I'm in good shape. And the theologian said, it's not like that at all. Let me share the biblical reality with you. The very first time you ever sinned in your life, you withdrew the whole account and closed it forever. The account was withdrawn and you closed it forever. But once you become a Christian, once you ask Christ to come into your life, your account has been closed, but a new one has been opened in Jesus Christ's name. And you are wealthy, but you can't make another deposit. You don't live the Christian life by trying to do enough good things to earn God's salvation. And you can't make another withdrawal. As Christians, we live off the benefit of this new account, living off the interest, or to put it another way, living off the blessing and the gift of Jesus Christ. See, that's what we celebrate tonight. He came to save us from our sins, and the only way we can be saved is through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. That's the truth that has stood the test of time and it will stand the test of time forever. The final truth that stood the test of time is that he entered a mess so that we could have peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Oftentimes when we think about the church or we think about the Christian life, we have this idyllic picture of everything nice and everything perfect and everything in order. However, that was not the world that Jesus stepped into. Jesus stepped into a broken world. He stepped into a mess. If you read Matthew chapter 2, you see that it was a world that was overcome and oppressed by egotistical leaders. You see it was a world that had such a selfish leader's heart that it was manifest in violence towards young children. It was a mess. It was a world that wasn't quaint and perfect. It was horrible, violent, and full of turmoil, injustice, power abuses, slavery, and more. Jesus came into a very broken world to bring healing, 
to bring peace. He entered into darkness to bring light. He entered into sorrow to bring joy. He entered into mess to bring peace. What a great word, peace. Are you in need of peace this evening? When we think of peace, we typically think of this idea of like absence of conflict or absence of chaos. And the biblical peace, the peace we see in the Bible is a little bit like that, but the idea is much bigger. When the Bible talks about peace and Jesus being the Prince of Peace, it talks about the Hebrew idea of shalom, which is bigger than just a lack of chaos. It means a completeness or a wholeness to the inner side of you. It means healing of your heart that makes you whole. It brings rest to unrest. It brings order to disarray. It brings healing to brokenness. It brings a soul satisfaction to a weary heart. You see, that's the peace that Jesus brings. He is able to take a heart that's fractured, tired, sinful, hopeless, broken, incomplete, and he makes it whole again. He makes it new. He makes it complete. How does he do that? Through the power and the love of God. You see, that's what we celebrate this Christmas. Does this, did your heart know that peace this Christmas Eve? Does your heart feel rest before our God? Jesus entered a mess to bring peace. He's an expert at restoring the human soul. So the three acts that stand the test of time is that Jesus humbled himself so that we could understand. He paid our debt so we could be saved. And he entered a mess so that we could have peace. During World War I in 1914 on Christmas Eve, this night in 1914, there's an amazing story that takes place. And some have said it's a myth. However, most say it's true, and so I'm going with the fact that it was true. It took place on a battlefield in World War I, and the German and British forces were at war with one, each other, one another. They were shooting each other. And then on Christmas Eve, someone started singing Silent Night. And both sides put away their weapons. And they came out from their trenches. And they walked together on the battlefield, British soldiers with German soldiers. And they sang together. They played soccer together. They enjoyed each other's company. It was like a truce of all truces that happened for this holiday season, for this moment. There was peace in the midst of the battlefield. And it stayed like that for 24 hours. And then on December 26th, news of a sniper shot in a town away came out, and immediately they all went back into their bunkers, back into their trenches, and they started fighting again. Don't repeat Christmas 1914 in your soul. Don't repeat Christmas Eve 1914 on that battlefield in your soul. Here's what I mean by that. Some of you came in here and your heart is at war. It's at war with perhaps yourself. It's at war with God. It's at war with maybe other people. And you carry this unrest in your heart. And then the Christmas season comes and you put it away like a temporary truce you enjoy the holiday, you enjoy this time, you come to church, and it feels like a truce has happened. But don't let the 26th of December come and you go back to war. Let the war in your soul take its end once and for all tonight. 
The way you end the war in your soul, whether it's unrest against God, unrest against yourself, or unrest against someone else, the way it begins is you invite Jesus Christ, this gift that we celebrate tonight, into your heart. You invite him into your life. Don't just let the holiday go again and repeat what has always gone on. The definition of insanity is to keep doing what you always done and expect different results. Make a change tonight. Do something different. Invite God in and then spend the rest of 2020 getting to know God in a way that you never have before. One of the greatest things that we love at staff here at Crossview Church is when people come to us and say, I want to get to know God in a deeper way. Will you help me? We have countless tools that can help you do that. Make the decision tonight to invite Jesus Christ into your life. You'll be forgiven forever. You'll be guaranteed heaven when you die. And then make your your ambition in 2020 to get to know this gift, Jesus Christ, that we celebrate tonight in a deeper way. How do you invite him in? Three simple things. First, you say, Jesus, please enter my life like you entered this world. Will you enter my heart like you entered this world? And then you say, I turn from my sin. Will you please forgive me? And then you just ask him, I invite you into my life to make me new. Three simple steps. If you're honest and you really want that and you say those things, Jesus will enter into your soul this evening and make you new. And then I encourage you, whether you're a Christian or not, to make 2020 your ambition to get to know him more. We sing a song at this time of year We say, let every heart prepare him room. And that's what I've been praying for this Christmas season, that you would allow room in your heart, all the room there is, for Jesus to come in and make you new. That's a Christmas gift I hope for every single one of us tonight. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we thank you for this gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself that we may know who you are, who paid our debt that we may be saved, and who enters the mess of this world in our life to make us new. We want to embrace this gift, God. Will you help us to do that this evening? We thank you that you made the first move, that you bridged the gap between a holy God and sinful humanity. What a glorious gift it is. I pray that the awe and wonder of that gift would now fill our hearts and you'd have us respond in the best way we can. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.